Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Friends Missing Friends. Today I talked to a good friend of mine, her name is Jamie, and I actually met her over Zoom in these crazy times in 2021. And the first time I saw her Zoom square, which is a crazy sentence, uh, she smiled and I swear I felt a jolt of electricity through my body. It was like my body telling me in an instant that she was a kindred spirit and I was just like, oh my gosh, I want to be her friend. So fast forward, now we're friends. And don't worry, I did tell her that story. She was not weirded out, which is a really good sign. So in this episode, we discuss female friendships, what they mean to us, and what it's like to miss friends who are still alive. And just a heads up, the topic of suicide comes up in this conversation. So please take care of yourself. And if you or someone you know is experiencing a suicide crisis or mental health-related distress, you can call or text the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jamie. You were saying that your idea of best friend kind of shifted. So I'm just curious, like, what does best friend mean to you? Ooh, I love that you asked me that question. Um, And I think part of that reframing for me, right, has has been a function of a couple of things. It's been a function of my age um, in turning that new chapter and season where I'm not fresh out of school, right? I'm an actual adult, not a baby adult um, Mm -hmm. is the term that our friends use, right? And I think a lot of it has been meeting you because um, in your manuscripts, this is, it impacted me and it changed my my thinking on in such a beautiful way. Um, In your manuscript, right? You reference best friends like a category. Mm Mm-hmm not like an ultimate position. Mm -hmm. And I love that, right? Because I think, and maybe this is my competitive background or my athlete background, right? But like in my mind, best friend was always this like top of the podium that your friends were competing for like that position, Mm. right? And there was only one. And so when you referenced the idea of best friend as being a category, like a bucket of people that like are that special tight circle for you that you can have as many as is true for you. Um, mm-hmm. That was just like a brain exploding emoji for me. Oh my gosh. I am having a brain exploding emoji right now. <laughs> <laughs> so That's it was so definitely sweet. that, right? Where it just made me feel like, my beautiful friends that feel like my best friends, right? Like I, 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 I got to, to put them in this special, beautiful bucket that they deserve to belong in. And they didn't have to compete at that Mm -hmm. point in my mind, right. Of like, who is like, it's not a, it's a, it's a black and white thing to think of it like a, a competitive first place, second place and on so on. Right. Like it, um, that idea of it being a category, like I just, man, it resonated for me. I love it. That warms my heart so much. I think that it's also been an evolution for me because it's mm. like very elementary school to like kind of keep track of your friends and their ranking 
even maybe subconsciously, maybe not even consciously. Um, and yeah, I don't know, just as I've grown older, I may have shared this with you, but I've discovered that the heart has no bounds. It continues to expand and expand and expand. And as we go through life, we're just naturally going to meet more and more people. So the heart continues to expand as we meet more and more people. And no matter how many people we truly love, it doesn't mean we have less love to give these new people that we meet. So it's like kind Mm. of infinite. And that's something that I kind of been discovering recently, like the past couple years, I kind of thought of that metaphor and I was like, oh my gosh, it just gave me this feeling of peace. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also kind of that idea of, right, you talk about evolution and maturity, right? I do think that it's interesting that the the pieces of our little girl that we keep, right, you keep those pieces until it bumps up against something, a struggle or a triumph in your adult life or in your chapter. And then you really have to kind of process that and think about that, right? And I think um, you're exactly right for me, that idea of like the ultimate best friend. Um, was absolutely something that I carried with me as a little girl onward, mm-hmm. right? Of like, okay, there only has to be one, right? Mm-hmm. And so like now if, if this this person is it today, that person can't be. Um, when really like that's just, it's, it is to miss the point of like how we define it. And I never reframed it because I, 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 I think I really didn't have language, right? To think about it. I needed a, a way to reframe it. And mm-hmm. I think the idea of it being categorical, right? It, it gives it room to be expansive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it gives it room. It gives you room to grow as a person and not be bound to that point in time that you were really close to that friend in those ways, right? It gives you room to breathe and grow and change and um, become your most true version of yourself. But it also gives them, I feel like the same opportunity to expand and know mm-hmm. that like it's, it's less like a single point of failure at that point and more like a, like a pie, right? Like a lattice pie. It's interwoven at that point, the way that your support network looks like in your community versus like, Mm. this is the single tie. And if you cut this, then like I'm dead and broken and on an Island by myself. Oh, I love the image of the pie, the lattice pie. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I think the other thing that has really helped me right in kind of that, like, I would say it's the categorical piece, but it's also that idea of like your friendships being a tapestry in your Mm -hmm. life, right? Where like that tapestry like starts in one place and it continues, right? And it tells a story, but that also gives room, maybe an expansiveness. I'll go back to that um, for just a second of like, if my best friend in college, right. If we were attached at the hip and like, just had such a beautiful chapter together, then if we move and grow apart and she gets married and I go this place, right. That next season and that next chapter, we might not have the same picture in the tapestry, but that doesn't mean that she's not going to come back later and weave in and out of my story. Right. Or it, and I, I think that has been so liberating because I, I think part of the grief, right. That I've suffered with friends that have been living is not knowing how to make those transitions. 
mm-hmm. and feeling like that loss of like, oh, it used to be that way. And I want that back. And it's not that way because life has kept going, right? We've gotten older, we've gotten new jobs, we've gone new places, all of the things that just organically happen with life. Yeah, it's the grieving of the changes of the seasons of life and of friendships. And I am so much like you. I deep have deeply grieved every change of season, <laughs> just like to the point where I, I, I think embracing the metaphor that you just described would help me to also see the beauty in it. Because also that tapestry that you wove with that friend or that friend group, and maybe now it's a different season, that tapestry that you wove together still exists. It's not like it's gone or like it never happened. You still made that beautiful art, that beautiful life together. And I love what you said about how their thread may weave in and out again, you know, as you keep Mm. going. But yeah, there's that whole, the whole friends missing friends. Like there's so many friends who also are alive that I really miss and I miss what we used to have. Yeah, absolutely. That has, that has been really, um, it's enabled me to be more graceful with myself and with others. And I think to have a more like forgiving and understanding perspective of how to navigate those changes. Cause I, I I think, Mm -hmm. um, for myself, right. I have a tendency to cling, um, right. When I, I really miss things or don't want them to end. I cling to them. Like they still exist, even though they're in the past and I'm in the present. Right. And that never, that never facilitates you being present. If you are always like trying to cling and clutch for things that used to be that don't exist anymore. Right. Like I have learned, or it's been my lived experience that that just hasn't served me very well. So it has been, um, even just painting that in my brain, right. Of like, what did that look like? Or are there things in my house or my environment that are that tapestry that remind me of those times? Um, I think before I had that metaphor, um, it made me kind of sad and kind of resentful and kind of bitter that it was and isn't anymore. Um, That idea of like the thread weaving in and out really has been, um, it's enabled me to feel like I can trust the universe enough Mm -hmm. to let go. Yeah. What is not, currently for me. Mm-hmm. And I think before, right, I was so controlling because I knew best what was for me and who should be here. Um that it really was a matter of not trusting. And that is so hard to do. I mean, I'm also a clinger. Um, <laughs> a stage five, stage five clinger over here. <laughs> I re- yes, and it's like that was hard for me too, because I know that I'm like that. I feel so deeply to the point where people are like, why are you so upset? Or like, why are you laughing? Nothing's funny. Or, you know, just so many times people are like, why are you reacting so strongly in like any type of situation? So, and I know that I, I cling, you know, to friend groups when that starts to fade and everything like that. So I really struggled with that so much when Lauren passed away because 
I knew that I am a clinger and I know that I feel deeply and I felt the grief so deeply and I was like is that because I feel too deeply or is this normal and real or is my grief me clinging to you know the friendship that we had like I couldn't parse out what everything was and because I knew that I quote-unquote overreact (laughs) according to the world I kind of just thought I must be overreacting I must be crazy like no normal person would react this strongly to this happening which is ridiculous now that I say it because it was extremely traumatic and of course I would react strongly but and when I was in the midst of it, I was like, Ugh, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I move forward? Why am I so stuck? That makes so much sense. I, I, can, I can attest to having similar feelings come up for me. And I think um, there's a few things with that, right? I think to your point, a lot of it is the messaging that the world has given us. Mm-hmm. Um, right for, for insert the the too adjective right too much too emotional too sensitive whatever right I, I think there's that ascription that you give to yourself of um, whatever that too is that you've heard or felt from somewhere else external. Um, I think it has been fascinating as I have learned to navigate my grief. Right. And just understand that the places of you that feel deeply are beautiful and part of your gift. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think that um, I am a very linear thinker because of my background. Right. I think engineers is literally the pendant of engineering school is to think very linearly. Um, and so many of the embodied things right are when are, are circular and grief is circular so I would also get very frustrated with myself of like okay I, I had this shit sandwich and I dealt with it and the next day right there's some of it that's still there or it's deeper or it's more it's like a cavern and not just a closet right in I think that idea of letting go gently as many times as you need to over and over and over and over um, is something that is so part of the grieving process. And it took me so long to be gentle enough and kind enough to myself to let myself roll with those cycles. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's that right. And the, 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 the finiteness of the grief, right you being frustrated with it or wanting it to be over doesn't decrease its presence any less, Mm. right? Like you have to, I mean, to have a a, a music analogy, right? You have to finish the note. Like that phrase is just really sad stuff and you have to finish it before you can go to the next movement, right? Like it, it, it is that you have to, you have to go through it. You have to feel it. Yeah, you have to feel it.
something that has really been on my mind this week has been Chesley Crisp, um, Miss USA from 2019. She um, she committed suicide or she died by suicide earlier this week. Oh my god! And um, what has particularly just really um, weighed heavy on my heart, other than just man, how much I just feel for her family and her friends, has been. Um, on Monday, there was a news segment in which Gail King was talking about, um, her dear friend, Chesley, and, um, she was pretty broken up about it, but what she said was basically, you know, I talked to her last week and she had this full calendar of, um, all of these things that she was working on. She was, um, a media consultant. I think she was doing some modeling. She's an engineer. I mean, she's a lawyer um, by schooling. So she had this appearance, right, of having having means and having success and having um, all of these wonderful things happen to her, right? She was young. She was 30. Um, she was beautiful. All of these different things. And so she said, you know, what really troubles me the most, and I'm paraphrasing, um, is that when I talked to her, she seemed fine. And there was nothing, nothing that I picked up on that thought that I should check in deeper or further. And so she said, um, and this is the part where she got really upset, right? She said, what has troubled me so much about that is how do we know family or people or world, right? How do we know to be checking in on the people that seem happy and strong, right? Like check in on your friends, the happy, strong ones that you think are fine. Um, And even more than that, right? I think what has really like been on my heart is how do you check on your friends or stay connected to your friends um, and offer them help or support if they don't know how to ask for it, right? If they don't have language for that, or they're in a darkness that they're not ready to share yet. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I had, I didn't know this happened. That's so sad. And that's such a, that's such a good point that, Yeah. How do you, how do you know what to say? And that's so hard. That's so hard. Yeah. That's such a great thing to bring up because it makes me feel like it needs, perhaps it should come up in conversation before there's any signs of darkness. (laughs) So, you know, maybe you're forming a deeper connection with a friend and maybe you're like, Hey, let's have a conversation about this, about like, if we're in a dark place, how should we ask? What should we say? What kind of support would we need? Maybe even like have a code word if you need a code I, word. I knew you were going to say that, Hannah, and I love that so much. Like what if it was like rainbow sprinkles or something, right? Like, Oh my gosh. I heard someone had like a code word with their friend. It was like pineapple. And one time she woke up and she had like 50 texts from her friend that just said pineapple, pineapple, pineapple. And luckily everything was fine. So they laughed about it like afterwards. But I would be so scared if I like woke up and had like 
that code word over and over. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> I think you're onto something though, right? I think you you are you are so right of like proactively, like how do you establish that psychological safety to to have that place to go of like, okay, friend, like how are you really? Like not mm-hmm. the crap, like how are you that you're telling the person that you pass by in the office or on the street or wherever we were actually social interacting with people. Um, mm-hmm. but like the, like the deep, like, how is your soul? How is your body? <laughs> like, how are you actually? Yeah. I don't think I have ever had that conversation with anyone. Mm. This particular conversation that we're talking about. I don't think I have. Maybe I should start doing that. (laughs) I think it's an interesting thought, right? Because I think with the current climate of the world and the environment of the world, right? Like, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say or to share that my observation has been that it seems like there's a lot of people going through a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I think as we have more friendships that are long distance or through a screen or working remote or, you know, all of these different things that are honestly less face-to-face interaction um, on a frequent cadence, right? I, I think there is kind of that, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think there's so many different places, right? Do you ever really get like that point of, um, really being in your truth and really being, and you're like, well, actually no, like I'm, I'm in it. And like, here's all the things. Yeah. That's something I'm going to have to mull over, I think. And really think about it. Have you ever had a code word with a friend about anything doesn't have to be this specifically. Um, I think to add some levity, I I think so. Um, mm-hmm. It's more not not in this context at all. But it more doesn't like, have to be heavy. It can be like you know code words for boys you like and stuff. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So we're we're gonna go with levity right now, right? There's definitely um, there's definitely been times where like if I back in the day that you'd go to a dance hall or to a bar or something, right. That, um, I would have a code word with a girlfriend of like, we need to get out of here or like this guy's creepy or, you know, like it would be mm-hmm. like tequila shot or just, you know, something like, like mayday, mayday. That's let's, so smart. Let's, yeah. Let's move. Um, but it, it was definitely more like that. Oh, that's so smart. Next time I go out, which I don't know when the heck that's going to (laughs) be. I never really went out much to begin with. I'm totally going to do that. And there's, oh, it just like, it's so like, you just started grinning so wide when I mentioned, have you ever had a code word? There's something so beautiful about having like a secret like that with a friend or whoever, like, like an inside joke or like an in secret language, like. My friend Lauren and I, at summer camp, we would come up with code words about boys, of course. That's a lot of what we talked about. (laughs) I was obsessed with boys. I was probably like 17. Um, 
and and then we would change their name if like I was mad at them and I would of course be mad at them if they were flirting with other girls so it's not like they did anything wrong <laughs> but uh just like stupid stuff like um this one guy played the saxophone and I liked him so we called him sax man as if that's like <laughs> secretive at all <laughs> like no. yeah that's top secret <laughs> And then I was mad at him, so we called him Doucheman because he was being like a douchebag because he was flirting <laughs> with this girl. So stupid. Nice. And then I was like, oh, douche in French means shower, so let's call him Shower Man. And then we called him Shower Man. And then he changed back to Doucheman and then back to Sax Man. It was just like so silly and so fun. <laughs> but yeah, so fun, right? Because you could be speaking out loud in public, but in code. Yes. <laughs> Although if we said sax man next to him, he might know we're talking about him. But yeah. That's fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I kind of, part of me kind of misses the days where I was like always having a crush, even though those crushes were very tumultuous and childish. <laughs> but it was also kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know. It was. I um. I also went to music camp. Um. And actually, interestingly enough, I played alto sax. Oh my gosh. Um. But my version of that um was I was I was in in the band section, um, the mm-hmm. symphonic band part of like the music camp. And so, the guy that I crushed on, and oh gosh, I. This is middle school. Maybe I don't even think I was in high school yet. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's even too old. Maybe I was more like in elementary school. I don't know. I was old enough to be a girl with a crush. And so I was <laughs> crushing on this guitarist named John. Ooh. And um, it was very much like I would like wait to get out of rehearsal so that like there was this place that you could go get a candy bar. And I'm like, oh, well, if I time it right, like I'll be going to get a candy bar when he's going to go get a candy bar. And then obviously we're going to have this meet cue. And then like, then he'll realize he's perfect for me. And then we'll like spend the rest of our lives together. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That line of thinking is so funny when you say it out loud, but it's it's like, it's totally how my mind worked too. For that version of you in that chapter, right? I mean, and maybe it was also that we grew up on VHS Disney movies. I don't know. Yes, I think that probably plays a part of it for sure. Right, but it was. It was very simplistic and very, uh, I mean, such a novella type of like narrative of like meet cute, um, love of life, the end, happily ever, (laughs) right? That it's there's something beautiful about the simplicity of it. Right. But then it's so oversimplified that also like your more adult version of yourself is looking at it like, Oh my gosh. Any story or anecdote or anything about like a close friend you had or, and still, and or still have. And like, maybe the way you met them or like your happiest memories together, anything like that. I have a couple that come to mind. Um, And the one that I'll share with you is about how I met one of my very best friends in this world. Um, If I 
have ever felt like I had a kindred spirit. It's her. And um, this was in 2012. But at the time I was, um, I was in, I was an undergrad. I was um, pre-med. I was studying biology, um, which was mostly a big, large matrix of classes that was basically, I didn't know what to do. And that sounded pretty good. Like I was headed in a general direction that didn't feel like pure panic. Um, um, and so I was, um, I was taking a horse equitation class. It was a Western equitation class. And, um, in that class, right. Everybody gets a horse. You go through all the tack you learn. Um, in this case, it was all the Western riding type of stuff, like how to saddle, how to bridle, how to all of the different things. Um, and there was this girl in there. She was probably a hundred pounds soaking wet and she had big rodeo hair and like a huge belt buckle. And she just, I, she caught my attention right away. Um, I think it was her presence, but it was also that she had her nose in a MATLAB book. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know what MATLAB is, it's like a big icky language that you can code really amazing things, um, that have lots and lots of applications for. Um, so in her own right, right. I walked up to her and she was already a juxtaposition that just, she had my interest. Like she was so interesting and she was also hands down the best writer in the class. Like it just, when she got on a horse, it seemed like she was just meant to be there like way more than when she was just walking around. And so, um, I watched her and I watched her and I was kind of fascinated by her and we ended up talking and she said that she was a chemical engineering undergrad and she wanted to go to medical school. So at the time, right, we kind of had a similar path of that. And so, um, interestingly enough, I ended up kind of doing a 180 in my life and the next semester, um, I was also a chemical engineering undergrad and it was kind of a union that was just supposed to be, um, from that point forward, like we took all our classes together. Um, we worked together, we studied together. Um, and she was just, I mean, the yin to my yang in so many beautiful ways that just, you know, she made me feel like I belonged in a time that I never really felt like I did. Mm. Um, and so that that partnership right or just that uh, that ability to feel like I was forging into this impossible future doing this impossible thing um it just felt not lonely and it felt doable and um it was just you know the the coolest way to meet somebody and then to know that like that that type of just casual interaction turned into one of the most profound and deepest closest friendships that I have that's so sweet. I'm like actually crying right now because <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Ugh. I think especially when you said um, that she, just her presence made you feel like you belong. It's just amazing to me that it only takes one person to make you feel like you belong. And it could be that you feel like you belong in a group of a hundred people and only one person there is needed to make you feel like you belong. And I think when the really intense magic happens, like you're describing, I don't, I just, as I get older, I appreciate it so much more because it doesn't happen all the time. 
like it is kind of rare and I would roll my eyes whenever my parents said it, (laughs) but it's actually true. (laughs) Like, you know, as I meet more people, just for everything to line up so perfectly, you know, their energy, their personality, the timing, the path, like all this stuff to line up so beautifully. It really is like a kindred spirit. And I just, I have such a deep appreciation for it now. In Spanish, what we would say, right, is regalitos que me da la vida, right, is literally like how you talk about friendship. And what that means, right, is like these little gifts that life gives me. And like they are, right, like those those connections and those friendships that are just so so deep and so pure and so easy and organic, right? They are little miracles. They're gifts. Thanks for listening. Friends Missing Friends is produced by me, Hannah Rumsey. Sound engineering is by co-producer Eric Siegling. Original music is also by Eric, featuring The Lost Wayne. Artwork is by Heidi James. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we can cherish and remember the friends we miss. See you next time.